Welcome into episode 36 of the Landscape Photography Show. On the podcast today, we have photographer David Thompson. And ever since I started the podcast, I knew I wanted to have David Thompson on to talk about his photography. And and we exchanged emails a few weeks ago trying to land on a date that we both could line up on our schedules and make it work and in between scheduling that and putting it down in our calendars and the time that we actually spoke and recorded this podcast the murder of george floyd happened um and i emailed david and i said hey would you be comfortable talking about how this has affected you as an african-american part of the photography community and he said sure he would share his thoughts um, but he also didn't want to make the whole episode about that and i totally respect that because i think we number one need to give david the respect to listen to his thoughts on this and i also think we need to give david the respect for also recognizing him as an amazing photographer so i have a challenge for you actually two challenges for you in this podcast number one our culture really emphasizes and this has really been leveled up with the popularity of social media to pick a side and dig our heels in without listening to people and having honest communication about topics. I want to challenge you, no matter what your thoughts on politics, on policing is anything like that i want you to put all of that aside and i want you to honestly and completely just without any intuition on one side or the other listen to what david has to say about this issue about black lives matter i think that this segment of the podcast has a ripple effect that will lead to honest discussion that will lead to brave discussion and that will lead to yeah difficult conversations but conversations that reveal the humanity in all of us and that can hopefully lift the curtain on understanding of the deeper meanings of this issue of this topic and i think david lays that out beautifully i'm not going to try to even get into it i want to let him has have his voice on talking about it so you're going to hear that at the beginning of the podcast be open be honest be willing to listen and be willing to understand And then secondly, my second challenge to you is listen to David after that as a member of the photography community, because the dude is taking incredible photographs. 
I don't know about you, but I've seen his images of, you know, the Southwest region of the United States. I've seen his images of cypress trees. And I know a lot of you have DM'd me about his photographs of cypress trees. I've even had people, you know, I, I have a cypress tree grove that's kind of close to where I live. And after I posted images from that area, uh, a lot of you actually DM'd me and were like, hey, is that the same place David Thompson is going? And sadly, no. I think his like have a lot more of that old mossy, foggy look to them. And maybe I just need to get out and explore my area a little bit more. But I know that you're going to get a lot of information and a lot of inspiration from what he has to say about photography, too. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome into the podcast. I'm sitting here with David Thompson, who lives in Las Vegas, Nevada in the United States. And first, David, I just want to thank you for coming on. I, I know that you do work a day job, but you also spend the afternoons with your son. So I just want to thank you for giving up some of your time and, and talking with us on photography. Hey, David, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You know, I was thinking about a, a question to ask about uh, everything going on in the world right now. But I think the, the best way to do this and talk about the killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement is just to ask you flat out, um, what are you feeling about it? Uh, what are your thoughts about it? And kind of what do you want to express uh, about everything going on? Um, man, that's a, a good loaded question there. <laughs> it's um, yeah. Um, my feelings, I'm, I'm upset. I'm pissed. Um, I'm angry. I'm saddened. Um, it's, it's just a shame that here we are in, you know, 2020 and we have guys still getting killed by the hands of the police. Um, you know, this is everything that's going on right now is something that's been brewing for a very, very, very long time. Um, and, I hope, I hope that, you know, people are starting to really wake up and see what's going on. Um, for me, being that, you know, I am a African-American black man in the United States, and I see these daily struggles every day of my life. Um, and I've been seeing it since I was a teenager. And over a period of time, one can only take so much. And once you get to that point where you can't take anymore, this is what we get. We get the protests, we get the looting, we get the rioting, you know, all the bad stuff that comes along with it. Um, I don't condone any of that by any means, any of the, you know, the violence and, you know, the destruction of property and that kind of thing. But um, I get it. I understand people are frustrated, people are mad. And when you don't have a voice 
um, to speak. Nobody listens and you're just considered a, just another person out there in the world. It gets really frustrated and um, it's unfortunate. Have you had any experiences like this out in the field when you are taking photos like racial profiling or anything like that? Um, not, not so much in the field. I don't, no, I wouldn't say in the field with my photography. Um, I mean, we, we have to be honest here. This is a, uh, a hobby that is, um, you know, with predominantly white men. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, you kind of get the odd look when, you, you know, you see a black guy like myself in these random <laughs> wilderness areas and, you know, people are like, huh, this is a little bit different. Um, but as, as far as, you know, um, any kind of like profiling or anything like that, no, not with photography, but, um, in the urban environment, when I'm in the city, Yes, I ha I've had been I've been profiled. I've been, you know, pulled over by the police. Um, you know, guns drawn on me, and uh, just because you know you meet the description of a robbery that happened, you know, ten minutes ago. You you call it bad timing, wrong place at the wrong time. Who knows? But that. Those instances right there, you you get upset. You're mad, you know, and it's unfortunate. Like I said, that we we're still going through that, you know this this day and age. Did this one hit you differently though? Um, it did. Um, when I watched the video, I was at a loss for words. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, when I saw the killing of that man. Um, it bothered me. It bothered me quite a, quite a bit. Um, seeing this man beg for his life for, you know, seven, eight, nine minutes. Um, that's, that's hard. Um, because it could be me. Um, it could be one of my friends. It could be my son. I have a 12 year old son. Um, I have to have these conversations with my 12 year old son who's, you know, he's an innocent kid. He goes to school, gets good grades, you know, and he does what he needs to do. But yet he could be riding his bike out here in our neighborhood. And, you know, one of those circumstances like I was in, maybe he's riding his bike at the wrong time. And somebody thinks he's riding away from a crime scene. And the police see him and, you know, they chase him down or they pull him over or, you know, they draw weapons on him. You know, he's 12. Does he know how to act? Who knows? I don't know. But I have to have these conversations with my son, like I said, who's an innocent kid, that have him understand you have to act a certain way when you're dealing with the police. And, um, you know, that, that bothers me. It bothers me. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, like I said, it's just a really, really... Uh, unfortunate thing that um, that we have to go through on a daily basis. Um, like you said, most of photographers are 
white men. Um, and I think I, I think I can speak for all of them saying we will never truly understand what it's like. Mm -hmm. Although I would like to think that we are trying to understand and we're trying to see what you're talking about. We're listening. We are thoughtfully going through the motions of how we can help, what we can do. Uh, what would you say to help the photography community understand what we need to do better? Well, I'll first start off by saying is um, where we are at right now, again, like I was saying earlier, it's, it's a buildup. You know, it's, it's, it's years, hundreds of years of, of, of um, being labeled where we're bad or we're criminals or um, you can't trust this guy because he's black or whatever the case may be. This is just years and years and years of buildup. Like, you know, and there reaches a boiling point. And when people get to that boiling point, they are going to react. So, you know, I want people to understand that this is just not something that just happened overnight. It's, it's not. Every black person, male or female, has had their struggle in some type of way. Um, some are more traumatic than others. Um, some are uh, very uh, subtle or, you know, like these uh, micro uh, aggressions towards them. Um, but every black person has experienced that in some type way shape form or fashion um, but what I will say is um, to um, what you can do going forward is just understand that African Americans we're in the struggle we're in the struggle daily and you they'll never you know people will never understand that struggle until um, Maybe they've, you know, talked to their friends or actually, you know, seen it firsthand. Um, but what I will say is just have an open mind. Just have an open mind. Be willing to ask those questions. Be willing to ask those uncomfortable questions about, you know, if they have an African-American friend to go, hey, how does that make you feel? Or what are your thoughts on that? And I think that there can be a meaningful discussion because, you know, we want to talk about it. We want people to understand. We want people to understand and hear our struggles. Um, and I think by just having that discussion and, and, and having that open dialogue uh, will help people better understand what's going on and, and, and how we feel. As a photographer, too, you know, we, we like to create. We like to be artistic. During something like this, what is your mental space for creativity and taking photos you know that's a that's a good question um i had some conflicting thoughts about that just recently i, I just got back from the redwoods this uh this past weekend and there was a point in time where you know i was all alone shooting the forest and it was great the conditions were were phenomenal i mean fog Thick, heavy fog, uh, light filtering through. I mean, just this beautiful scene. Like, I mean, it's like fairy tale. Like, it's like the stuff that we see, like, you know, in in people's imagery or like 
you know, on National Geographic and you just like, wow, if I just had only had those conditions and I had those conditions and I started having these like conflicting thoughts because it's more, it's almost like Zen, Zen for me. And, um, very, uh, meditative, I guess you can say as I'm, as I'm out there shooting. And I got to thinking that here I am enjoying myself in this environment. It's peaceful, it's quiet, it's calm, but yet there's people all around the United States, um, protesting and, um, you know, about this traumatic and um, difficult situation that we're dealing with, um, with George Floyd's death. And, you know, I, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of took me back a little bit. And, you know, I was having these conflicted thoughts of like, should I even be here? Should I be, you know, at home um, doing more or, you know, uh, writing something or, you know, doing something for my community. It, you know, I just had these, like these thoughts and it, it kind of bothered me. And, um, it was, it was challenging. It was challenging, I will say. And, um, you know, but at the end of the day, I felt like I still, I, I still have to live my life. I still have to get that mental space and that get into that mental space where I was at and enjoy myself and, you know, get that place of Zen that I don't necessarily get when I'm here at home, you know, with the daily, you know, grinds of life of, you know, going to work and, you know, taking care of, you know, kids and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a little challenging, I will say. Now, I know when we, we talked about this and you said you were okay talking about it and, and how you would welcome that platform. Um, you know, you also said you don't, you didn't want to talk the whole time about it. Is there anything else that you want to portray to us? Um, like I said, it's just be open, just be willing to, you know, have the conversation with people. Um, if you have African-American friends, talk to them, just, you know, ask them how they're feeling, reach out to them and, you know, try to have the conversation with them. If you have kids, um, if you have kids and, you know, the kids are all over the internet these days and YouTube and TikTok and, you know, uh, Instagram, and, you know, they see things. And if they get to asking questions as a parent, don't be afraid to have that conversation with them about race. It, it matters because it starts at home. It starts at home with the parents. And, you know, a lot of times us as parents, we, you know, don't necessarily want to have those, you know, awkward conversations with our children, but you need to have them and you need to let them know, look, um, you know, those people are different. They are different. They're human beings just like us, but they have a whole nother set of challenges that we'll never understand. And when they get to asking those questions from that point on, then you break it down to them and you just have to be open and honest with these kids. And uh, because the kids, um, our children now, are going to be the ones for future generations of, of uh, dealing with this kind of stuff and, uh, and making sure that, um, that as a society that we are watching after each other and, you know, that everybody lives do matters and including uh, black lives as well. 
Um, there needs to be some type of reform, but again, it, it starts with communication. You just have to have that open communication with everybody. Well, thank you, dude. Thank you so much for being vulnerable, vulnerable about it and talking about it. I mean, I mean, I kind of pride myself on this show of having good segues between things. Yeah. There's no good segue here to, to kind of jump back into this. No, it's not. And, you know, and again, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable topic. It's, 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 um, <laughs> it's, it's so much to unpack, you know, we can go on and on and on about, you know, you know, what we can do or what we should have done or, you know, what do we need to do going forward? But, um, it's an uncomfortable topic, but we have to, we have to talk about it in some type of, of way, in some type of capacity to really, you know, understand how we, we feel on both ends. You know what I'm saying? Because there's some things that, that I can express to, you know, one of my counterparts and they may be on the total opposite end of the spectrum. But guess what? If we're talking about it and we're discussing it and we have open conversation and open dialogue about it, maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I think uh, and that's what's also frustrating about the, you know, about all of this, too, is that is um, you hear these people that are just like, well, you guys should do peaceful protests. It should be peaceful protests. And I agree with them. It should be peaceful. but. Again, when you have years and years and years of the same thing, same thing, young black men getting killed, uh, police brutality, you know, getting smacked upside your head for, you know, looking at the police officer the wrong way or, quote unquote, not complying, you know, and people get fed up. People get fed up. And when there's no accountability, um, for these officers that do this to these people, it's a problem. And it just continues on and continues on and continues on and continues on. And then at what point do we say enough is enough? You know, when these people get mad and they start, you know, throwing bricks at windows and, you know, tearing up their neighborhoods and whatever else, they're mad. They're upset. It's not right, but I get it. I understand. Um, and again, you know, I, I can't stress enough, like, um, everybody, everybody that's listening to this, if we want reform and we want things to change, we have to get out and vote. And, and I'm not talking about at a national level with just the presidency, your local elections, it matters. Um, cause they, we got these judges, we got police chiefs, you got district attorneys, um, mayors, city councilmen, it's a whole, it's a whole system. And we have to vote for that change. If we don't vote, we're going to continue having the same issues that we're having today. It just will be on a different, on a different level. Thank you. Thank you. Truly. Thank you. Well, let's wind it back. Um, why don't you tell us something I, I love to ask people who come on, uh, I like to hear their story of how they got started in landscape photography. So take us back to the very beginning when it sparked that interest in you. Landscape photography, the very beginning. So, uh, I got married back in 2006, um, 
the lady at our wedding, Deborah, she did all our, you know, our wedding photos and stuff like that. And, you know, she was, has, you know, been in photography forever. She lives in LA. And I was asking her, I was like, Hey, um, I'm thinking about getting into photography. Um, but I want to go digital. Cause remember I was telling you at the time I was shooting film and I, again, I failed miserably at film. I didn't <laughs> know how to make an exposure. I was just bad. I, I I'm not even going to go to that, the film part. Um, so I'll just go right to the digital. So I asked Deborah, I said, Hey, um, I want to get a camera and I want to start shooting digital. Um, what do you recommend? She said, well, um, what you should get is a rebel XTI, a Canon rebel XTI. And I said, okay. And then she said, uh, well, what do you want to shoot? I go, I don't know. I don't know what I like to shoot. And, you know, I was like, I like to travel because, you know, my wife and I, we traveled all the time and I was like, I like to travel, but you know, I don't, I don't know anything else than that. She's like, well, this is what you do. Um, there's a website it's called Flickr. She said, go on Flickr and just scroll through all the images on there. And mind you, this is like early internet stuff. Like, I mean, this is like early, early on before the internet, you know, exploded to where it's at now. <laughs> and so I went on Flickr and sure enough, there was thousands of pictures, thousands of images. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. But again, I didn't know what I wanted to shoot. So I think I typed in like landscapes and, you know, I saw all these landscape images and I was like, oh man, it's cool. Sunsets. I like sunsets, sunrises. I like that. You know, so I started looking through all this stuff and uh, I just see all these images and I'm like, man, if I can only take a picture like that. So I was like, okay. So then um, I was like, okay, I like landscapes. And I go, well, you know what? Let me try typing seascapes. That sounds interesting. And cause I like to go to the ocean. And I go into the beach, so I, let me type in seascape. So I type in seascapes, and then my mind was just, like, blown. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, water, sun, waves, you know, color. And I was like, oh, my God, that's right, that right there, that's what I want to shoot. So, um, you know, I ventured off into shooting seascapes at first, and um, I sucked at that, too. <laughs> and uh, I sucked at that, too. And, um, you know, but, you know, over time, I got a little better. I got a little better. And then um, I'm going to tell you um, where it really took off. Um, I think the following year, which would have been like maybe 2000, late 2007, um, I got my next camera, which was a Canon 40D. And we took a trip to Costa Rica. And, you know, obviously we had everything. We had landscapes, we had forests, we had, you know, the ocean, we had streams, waterfalls, everything. And there was so much to see and shoot. Like I literally was overwhelmed, but I knew like, this is what I want to do. This is the stuff that I want to shoot. And from that trip, from that trip on, I came back, came back, uh, came back home and been a uh, full on uh, shooting landscapes uh, since then. You know, what's funny is, is a lot of people, I would say almost 90% of people that I've talked to and asked that question and they throw out like their first camera model, it's always that Canon rebel or <laughs> like a T2i or something. It's like, that is the go-to entry level. It is the go-to camera. It's the funniest thing. Like, like even that camera, I mean, like I kept it for, you know, kept it for a little bit, but you know. I think what's so cool about that camera because it's 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 a good starter camera for hands on and then start learning how to um, operate manually. 
And then once you start learning those manual settings, and you know, you can learn it pretty quick. And you go, okay, I feel comfortable. I can go up to, you know, something a little better. And um, I, I th it's one of those cameras. It, it just is the starter camera. <laughs> it is the starter camera. That's it. But so everybody like switches to something different though. Like you're yeah. Nikon now. I, yeah. I started with the T2i. I'm Sony now. So it's like, that's the go-to to start to learn. And then you jump ship. Yeah. I And I stayed with Canon. I stayed with Canon for a very long time. I love Canon. Um, the, I can't remember what year that was. It was, because I think at the time I was shooting the Canon 5D Mark III. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Nikon D800 had just came out that same year. And I, you know, and I was like, man, you know, D800 looks really, really nice. But I was like, you know, why switch? I, you know, I'm, I'm with Canon. So I bought the Mark III and it was great. But what ended up happening, I'm going to tell you, um, I went to the Grand Canyon one year and I was shooting all this monsoon stuff, like crazy storms, lightning and all this stuff. Um, I mean, great conditions. And, you know, the files were great. I came back home and the files were great. At that time, I started, um, my processing kind of started getting a little bit better. So I was kind of um, uh, maturing a little bit with my processing and, you know, not being so heavy handed and, you know, being a little bit more gentle with my processing. But what ended up happening with my Canon files, um, I started getting a lot of banding, especially mm -hmm. in, in the sky. And I couldn't get rid of it. I would try everything. I'm just going all over the internet, trying to find ways to get rid of banding. And I, I it just, I couldn't get rid of it. And I just, I remember working on those files from the Grand Canyon and there was so much banding in the files. I, I got frustrated. I just, I just stopped. I just couldn't take it anymore. The very next day I put all my Canon gear on eBay. Three days later it was sold and I switched to Nikon and I've been with Nikon ever since. We love cameras though. We, we love the gear. Can you think or remember a moment where you thought maybe it's not about the camera. Maybe it's what I'm seeing and how I frame it up. Yes, uh, I can. Um, well, it goes back into that story actually. So that summer, uh, my wife and I, we were going to, I believe it was Maui. We were going to Maui. And I was torn because I didn't, I, I wanted to sell my, all my Canon gear before I went on this trip in the hopes of getting the Nikon gear to take on to the trip to Maui. And that didn't happen. So I had to, <laughs> I had to, you know, make that call to my buddy because I hate borrowing stuff from my friends. So I had to make that call and I was like, Hey, you know, Hey Aaron, I need to, uh, I need to borrow your camera. And at the time he had the 5D Mark II. So this camera was already old by this time. I mean, it was like, you know, old news, you know, compared to the D800s and the, you know, the 5D Mark III. So he was like, yeah, go ahead. You can, you can use it. I don't, you know, I barely shoot anymore. So go ahead. So when I got to Maui, um, I was using, you know, the 5D Mark II and the files weren't necessarily great per se after, you know, using um, the Mark III, but what I realized is that the camera didn't matter. Like you can still, you know, 
blend for exposures, you know, to, you know, recover shadows and highlights and all that good stuff, right? It's just a little more work. But I tell you, after like the first or second day of shooting, I didn't even, I di it didn't really matter to me. You know, as long as the files were there and I did what I needed to do in the field, um, all the technicals and megapixels and all that stuff, it didn't really matter to me. Um, it became more of just being able to capture what I'm seeing at that time and being able to come home with those files and, you know, put together what I saw. And um, from that point on, like for me, it was cameras are just tools. Like the, the, the cameras itself is tools and lenses are just tools. Um, some of those tools are better than others, but it wasn't um, like a necessity per se that I needed to have, um, you know, like something specific, you know, to do what I needed to do. You know, man, I was reading your bio on your website before we jumped on, uh, and I, I could like put myself in your shoes and, and your story of, of how you would go to White Sands National Monument, which is yeah. now National Park, yeah. um, climb to the top of the dune and kind of just look over the whole vista there. I love that story. But my question on it is, do you think like even before you were realizing it, were you framing things up and, and seeing landscapes in your own way before you even grew into that hobby? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as a kid, I never, I, I didn't have an artistic bone in my body. I couldn't, I couldn't draw, you know, I was jealous. All my friends could draw really good. I couldn't draw worth a damn. Um, I couldn't play any instruments. Um, you know, I could, you know, I was decent at sports. I used to skateboard. I was good at that. Um, but as far as the art, like I never had that. Um, but I would always like see stuff in my, you know, in my mind, just like, wow, this is amazing. Um, like that looks really cool. And, you know, and, um, you know, growing up, you know, in New Mexico and, you know, being in the, in the city, as I was telling you earlier, what I realized very early on was how, how little I am compared to the world around me. And I've always found that interesting. And you don't really realize how small you are until you step out into the wilderness. And when you get out into the wilderness, you're tiny, you're minuscule, you're nothing, <laughs> you know, compared to what's out there. And I always found that very fascinating, um, you know, just as a kid. And as I got older, it just kind of got a little more um, expanded, you know, that, that, that vision of mine expanded. So when I picked up the camera, um, I already kind of had that in my mind already. Um, I just didn't know how to uh, see it and capture it in camera at first. Um, but over time with, um, you know, a lot of practice, a lot of failure and, um, a lot of trial and area trial and error, um, I eventually, you know, picked everything up and, you know, can make a halfway decent image now. Um, but it took a long time to really, you know, get that and develop that, um, that artistic eye and it didn't happen overnight. And, you know, it can be learned, can be taught. But I think that you kind of have to have, you kind of have to have a little bit, a little bit of that already uh, 
subconsciously to kind of make that work and grow, if that makes sense. Should people take confidence from that though? Like hearing you talk about failing or, you know, you said you went out and sucked at seascapes and other landscapes, you know, they look at you now and find your work inspiring. Should they take confidence out of you failing, failing that much and then growing to where you are now? Absolutely. I mean, look, it's like, it's like they say, what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Um, but, um, if you put effort into it and, and again, just having an open mind and just, um, looking at everything around you at your, at your feet, your side, up high, low, um, off in the distance, always have your eyes moving and you will develop a, a good eye at some point in time. But again, it, it, it takes a lot of practice, um, <clears throat> a lot of failures. Um, you have to have confidence in yourself. Um, I think one of the things that I see a lot with, uh, you know, newer artists is um, the confidence, you know, the confidence to, um, to be willing to fail and not get it right. Or, you know, getting critique from your friends and going, hey, man, this just doesn't work. Um, when early on, when I tried to get critique, um, you know, there was, um, and, and again, I was, you know, contacting random people and they told me my work sucked. And, you know, they were right. It did suck. Um, I wish they would have just given me a little bit more advice on what to do. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I just took that as more motivation to get out and want to wanna learn. Um, when we talk about the seascapes, for example, like I live here in Vegas. Obviously, the coast for me is about three and a half to four hours away. Um, so what I did, this just kind of give you an example of how I learned how to do like long exposures. There was a pond right around the corner from my house. So I'd walk over to the pond with a tripod and my Rebel XTI and um, learned how to do long exposures at that pond. Um, with ducks and stuff, all kinds of birds and stuff flying around, but I didn't care. I just wanted to, you know, grasp those concepts so then I can apply it when it came to actually trying to capture a scene. Um, and again, I failed miserably, but I went back to that pond every day for probably three or four weeks and I eventually got it. And, you know, I started applying it to my work and the concept just kind of started like falling into place. Um, but I didn't give up. Um, I did get frustrated a lot of times. I wanted to give up, but I just didn't. I just kept on. I kept on going. So yes, yeah, so it can. You can definitely become great at this medium and good at this art, but you have to put a lot of work into it, and you have to be patient. But I, I think that's the part of it that that people don't see. You know, you said you you went back several weeks in a row, just trying mm-hmm. to over and over get it. And like, I I can relate because right now I'm trying to get really good at time-lapse photography. Like for there's, for some reason, there's something about it that I just absolutely love. And Mm -hmm. for the past few days, every single day, you know, I'm probably taking over a thousand images every single day because of how much goes into those sequences when, Mm -hmm. you know, every single one, I'll just dump because there are dust spots all over the lens and it looks horrible on a time-lapse. Right. Like I can cover that up 
right. in Photoshop on a single image. But I think it's the the diligent work that people don't see. And, and it's really hard to teach them that too. Right. So again, like you said, you're going out taking thousands, thousands of frames to get this time lapse, right? Mm-hmm. And over a period of time, each time you go, you're going to get a little better. You're going to go, okay, I learned this time that maybe I need to clean my lens off before I go and, you know, do, you know, 800 frames. But each time that you go out, you're getting better, right? Yeah, for sure. So again, you know, that's how the evolution, you know, how it starts becoming a thing. You start to evolve with each session that you're going out. And it's the same thing with, you know, with our work. It's the exact same thing. Um, Another example is... um, over here at my house, we have this area called Red Rock Canyon, hmm. and it's, it's 20 minutes from my house. So we've got nice, dramatic mountains in the background, a bunch of cactus, yucca plants, um, Joshua trees. we got all kinds of stuff over there, right? But it's a desert landscape, and it's hard to shoot. Like, it's hard. And for the longest time, I've been shooting at that place since I first started shooting. And we're going on, you know, like, you know. 13 years or something like that, 14 years. And do you know that probably in the last five years, maybe less, I feel like my work there has gotten to a level where I like it. And everything before that was trash. Like it, it, it was not good. Um, sure, I can capture the sky. I can blend it really good. But my compositions there just didn't work. They, they weren't that good. But it took a very years, many years to really like get it together and actually start seeing how to um, put certain elements within the scene to make it work. Um, you know, you can't necessarily shoot wide all the time because, you know, if you shoot too wide, the mountains look too little. Um, yes, we can shoot wide if we go up on this cactus and, you know, we're right on top of it and we get that nice big bulging foreground that looks great. But then again, we got these small mountains in the background. So, you know, do I start compressing the seed with a mid, a mid zoom that helps out a lot, but then you got other distractions on the side that frame up the mountains and may not work or the, the, the Joshua trees are kind of dirty looking or they're not really clean or, um, they're kind of dead looking. Um, so it took me a very long time to figure that out. And, you know, for the longest time, I was like, man, you know, I know this area has so much potential, but I just couldn't figure out how to make it work. But guess what? I kept on going back. I kept on going back. And like I said, this is going on over 10 years that, you know, I went there and I don't really feel like my images from the area were that great. Now they're much better. But again, it took a very long time to, you know, figure that out. And um, you have to be willing to go um, through that journey, you know, through that whole evolution of, you know, not being able to really um, maybe see or compose or even processing. Um, it all takes time. Do you love the process or the final result more? Um, I prefer the... I, I prefer the the process of image making. Um, maybe not necessarily the end result, but I like the whole. I like the chase. You know, I like that 
that feeling of the unknown. Um, yeah. a lot of, a lot of times, like when I go shoot, like say for instance, like I'll get back to, you know, the process again, but like, for example, when I was out in the Redwoods this past weekend, um, you're, you're checking conditions, you know, do we, you know, it's going to be foggy, you know, is it going to be too much fog or are you not going to get any fog or, um, is it just going to be clear blue skies, whatever the case may be. You're going through all of these things to see if the conditions are going to be ideal, but you don't know until you actually get out there. So the whole thought process of the unknown, I love it because I don't know what's going to be out there. And then once you get there, then you kind of start piecing everything back together, which goes into the process of the image making. You're putting these elements together to make an image. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I love that. I love that challenge of just not knowing exactly if it's going to work or not, um, you know, depending on where I go. Um, if you look at my work, you know, my work is all over the place. Like, I, I, you know, I shoot various landscapes, you know, the coast, uh, the forest, you know, um, deserts, you know, I'm all over the place. Um, and you, you, you have these ideas or these thoughts that you would like to um, capture when you go into the field, but sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't pan out like that. So, you know, are you one of those, one of those type of people that can, you know, improvise and, you know, maybe come up with something else or look for a different scene? I don't know, but that's the thing that I like. I like that challenge. You know, you say your, your photos are all over the place and geographically. Sure. I mean, I think all of our images are, can be, all over the map, literally and figuratively. Yep. But every time I see one of your images, it's just like clean. Like clean is the word I would use to describe it. And I was just gonna ask like, how do you, is is that in your mind going into it? How do you get every single photograph just like crisp, clean? It, it feels like if you had added one more thing or secluded one more thing, it would just throw it off slightly, but you got it right in that sweet spot. Um, again, that's part of the evolution of the eye, mm. just developing your eye and just kind of knowing what to look for. I, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, by no means am I any kind of compositional expert, by no means. But what I have learned over the years is less is better. The more things that you try to involve in a composition, the harder it is to, to tie it all together to make it flow and make sense. Um, and when I early on, I tried to do that. And that's one of the reasons why I was not good at composition, because I tried to include so much within within a scene instead of just maybe picking out certain, you know, parts of uh, the scene that I like and, you know, try to tie them together with whatever's in the background. I never did that. Um, and I think another thing too, is I, you know, going back to social, you know, going to social media, um, we have these like preconceived notions of what our images should look like, right. When we get into the field and, you know, we're looking for like, you know, this nice big grand landscape and we're looking for that all over the place. And, um, you know, and you may find, you know, certain bits and pieces of that, but again, you know, does it flow? Does it make sense? Um, I always say, I tell everybody, I let the light dictate what I shoot, how I shoot, 
and how I process. And I just take those concepts and apply it in the field. You know, if I'm out in the field and I don't necessarily have ideal conditions, like maybe like if I'm shooting this wide scene, right. And I want like, you know, nice big dramatic clouds and I don't get it. Okay. No problem. Maybe I'll look at the, at the ground and maybe try to find something like a smaller scene and, you know, focus on that. But, um, it's a whole, it's a whole process of just knowing how to eliminate certain things within the scene and, um, and how you shoot. Um, like I'll be, I'll be honest with you, like in the field, I move pretty quick in the field. I'm not one of those kind of people. Like rarely do I ever sit on a composition Mm. very rarely because I always feel like if I sit on it, maybe there's something 20 feet over to the left that I'm missing. Or, you know, something, you know, 25 yards away that looks, you know, completely different than what I'm looking at now. So I'm always, always moving around in a scene. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, I, I move and I go, I should have just stayed where I was at. But then there's other times where I move and I'm like, you know what, that was a good choice. You, you did the right thing. But um, I always try to look for just, you know, clean elements within the scene that flow together that kind of have um kind of have like a harmony to it you know what i mean and yeah. um it just it just has to make sense to my eye and again like i don't go super extravagant or too crazy with with my compositions they're simple i try to keep them as simple as possible and um you know that's uh you know kind of how my eye sees do you consider yourself like the founding Founding father of a uh, cypress tree photograph. <laughs> no, absolutely. Dude, come not. on, because like you're no. the one doing it. No, um, this a. I actually got a good story about that. So um, the cypress tree. So going back probably 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to, you know, I was still in my infant stages of my photography and I was trying to improve and, um, you know, pick up on my process and then that kind of thing. And, um, there was this website, uh, which now the NPN website, which has been re, re- uh, uh, resurrected by, uh, you know, um, by David and Jennifer and those guys over there. And, um, but the old NPN, um, I never was a member on it. Uh, but I used to go on there just to look at everybody's work because a lot of those guys were like, you know, older guys that have been in the game for a long time. Mark Adamus was over there. And um, there was a, a photographer down south by the name of David Chauvin. And David Chauvin was one of the probably the first guy that I seen um, shooting those cypress trees. And I remember when I first saw the scene, I, it was a springtime image and those lime the trees had those lime green buds that were just budding. I'm sure you probably seen them in the trees in, in your area down there in Tennessee where like in the springtime, the buds just start the bud and they're small, but they're bright lime green. Yeah. And he had those lime green buds all over these cypress trees and it was stark. It was dark. It was moody. It was, you know, had the mist and fog and stuff. And I was like, damn, those look sick. And I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to get there one day. So, um, I reached out to, um, maybe three or four photographers at that time, um, that I admired their work and was, you know, asking if they did private workshops or anything like that. And none of them at the time did. 
Um, they were like, well, you know, we don't do any private workshops, but if you come to the area, I'll be more than happy to show you around. So David happened to be one of those guys. And um, I had asked him, you know, about, you know, the area. And he was like, yeah, you know, it's down here down south and, you know, these certain parts. And, you know, there's tons of cypress trees down here. He's like, if you ever come down, just let me know. And, you know, I'll help you out. And then, you know, I kind of, you know, threw one of my images in there at the same time. I was like, hey, you know, I need some help on the process. And, you know, what do you think of this? You know, just to get some feedback real quick. And he gave me some some decent feedback on my processing and, you know, sharpening and that kind of thing. And I was like, all right, cool. So fast forward to 2000, I think it was, what is that, 2016? Uh, I told my wife, I go, I'm going down to the swamps. I said, and she was like, really? I was like, yep, I'm going. I go, I've been, I've been saying I'm going to go for the longest time, but I'm going. And I go, if, if, if you want to come, great. If not, I'm going by myself. She was like, no, I think I'm going to come with you. And I was like, okay. So sure enough, my wife and I, we went down south and uh, rented us a kayak. We got a little tandem kayak and went out there and shot the swamps for the first time. And I fell in love, you know, from that point on. Um, And it's one of the places that you can actually go and you don't like run into anybody. There's not a lot of people out there. Well, maybe now it might, I mean, it's starting to get a lot more popular now, but um you know, again, one of those places where um, you're out there by yourself, quiet, peaceful, you just, you just enjoy nature. Um, and it's just raw, like it's just raw nature. And, you know, you're, you're with these old trees that have so much history and, and seen so much. And it's, it's just an amazing experience. Um, and over time, you know, after making, you know, many visits to the area, I think my work has gotten better down there. But again, you know, when I first went down there, my, it, you know, it was more just being there and experiencing everything. And um, again, I, I, I love going down there. I'm down there every year now. And um, until um, I absolutely get bored of shooting those trees, then I won't stop going. I'll be there every year from, you know, now until who knows when does your wife always come with you no no sometimes she you know it just depends like um being that she's already been to the swamp she's like okay i've already been there done that uh we had fun i got chewed up by mosquitoes and (laughs) no thanks (laughs) you're on your own but um it just depends like we my wife and i we travel a lot together and uh she's been really supportive since day one um and she kind of just lets me go off and do my thing. She's not a morning person. So she's like, oh, you want to go shoot sunrise? Knock yourself out. I'm good. Just, you know, make sure, you know, you're home or back at the hotel at a decent time. And so we can go eat breakfast and, you know, I'm not here by myself type stuff. But um, she's really supportive. And, um, yeah, if it wasn't for her, man, I I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'd still be, you know, doing this. Because sometimes I get really unmotivated. Um, I get bored really, really easy. And I think that's another reason why my work is kind of, you know, like all over the place and I shoot a whole bunch of different subjects. Because I get bored. I get bored like really easy. And once I get bored, I'm like checked out. I'm just kind of like, eh, like, yeah, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. Let me go do something else. So um, she's really supportive. And it's like sometimes like if I'm in my, you know, creative funks, you know, I'll I'll be walking around the house, moping around, you know, just lip poked out or whatever. And she's like, do you have anywhere you need to go, you know, get your stuff, <laughs> take your drone, whatever you do and go out for a few days and, you know, come back and, you know, get your head right. 
And, you know, I, I really appreciate that because, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where, um, you know, just again, like this stress is a life, um, you know, just being upset at something that I've seen at work or something, you know, somebody has said or, you know, done or whatever the case may be. And I just need that outlet um, just to get away. Um, she, you know, she supports that. So that helps out, you know, tremendously. You know, that's so funny. Like I was today, I was listening to uh, the Broken Record podcast and it was the episode with Rick Rubin and he's, he's interviewing mm. Andre 3000. Yeah. And, um, Andre said like he just he gets bored with things and he just winds up grasping for for yeah. different outlets, different ways yeah. to be creative. It's it's so funny like that we can span photography, uh you can throw in painting in there, you know, music and it's almost like we are all in the same boat. We're just grasping for like what could be inspiring to us. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you say that because I never, like I told you earlier, I never really had like any kind of creative, you know, bones, genes, whatever. I just never had that. And now that I have this photography, it's like, there's so much there, you know, there's so much there. There's so much to see. Um, there's, a lot out there that you can that you can just point your camera at and you know capture that moment and be creative with it in any kind of capacity that you would like um but we still we still want more you know we still want more of that like it's like it's not enough um so i think that's kind of funny that you know andre 3000 would say something like that that he's like yeah you know i want to do more stuff I, you know I'm, I'm i'm reaching i'm i'm grasping you know i'm you know i'm trying to do other things um yeah it's it's a it's interesting it's a really interesting thing what do you think drone regulations are going to come to you know you mentioned using a, a drone just a second ago just yeah. off the cuff but i i feel like it's starting to narrow a little bit uh, I, I will agree with you. I think it, it is narrowing. Um, I think it's going to be harder to fly drones. Um, but, uh, I still think there's a lot of creative, uh, creative possibilities out there. Um, you just gotta basically commit to it. I was just talking to a buddy of mine earlier today about, you know, drone photography and, and how much of a commitment it is that like, if you're going to fly your drone, you have to commit to just, I'm going to fly the drone and I'm going to try to uh, do something different because it's, it's completely out of the box, you know, in terms of like landscape nature type stuff. Right. Um, you can't fly in national parks. Um, you're limited to areas that you can shoot. Um, so then that leaves, you know, a small amount of stuff that you can do and what you can be creative with. So that's where um, going on Google Earth, um, finding areas to shoot and, you know, matching them up with, you know, air maps or, you know, the DJI maps of no fly zone and so on and so forth. Um, just gives more, uh, more reason for me personally to want to get out there and try some, you know, some other stuff just because, you know, like you said, it's, it is narrowing and it is getting smaller. Um, and I feel like 
you know, for me personally, I also feel like it's also still something new. Um, you don't really see a ton of like, you know, drone imagery out there. You don't see a whole, whole lot. Um, so I think that also kind of leaves a window of um, more opportunity to be more creative and stuff that you can actually call your own, which I, you know, I like doing that. I like, you know, finding different stuff to shoot and being like, yeah, you know what? I shot that. That's, that's mine. If you want that, you're going to have to research, look, commit, find it, shoot it, and, you know, hopefully you get something similar. But, you know, um, again, I like that creative, um, you know, creative uh, space with that. Where can people go to find you? Uh, if you want to find my work, real easy, davidthompsonphotography.com. Um, I'm on all platforms, Facebook, David Thompson, Instagram, David Thompson Photography. Real simple, real easy. I'm out there. I'm easy to find. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us and talking with us. Hey, no worries. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, it was a good discussion. I enjoyed that.